You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Legends of Runeterra. This episode is supported by listeners like you. To become a supporter of Legends Cast, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. My name is The Lift, or Mark, and I'm outside of Pittsburgh, PA. And with me tonight is my legendary and ever-faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, how are you doing tonight, man? Doing good, dude. It's been a long day, but a good one. You know, got through work without being too annoyed <laughs> and uh managed to even get some runeterra in before going climbing and climbing was great now we're podcasting it's just all everything's turning up millhouse so you know we're we can't complain well that's that's good i mean you shouldn't you shouldn't complain if all of those good things are happening that's right that's right <laughs> i'm actually only here today to complain that's that's all i actually oh. want to do so well it's going to be, a, I'm going to make sure that this is a miserable, drawn out, very long, awful episode. So I'm, I'm, no, no, I had a good week, man. It was, uh, it's full, dude. It's a, remember how I kept saying that my life is full back in March and then, yeah. and then, uh, COVID hit and then my life emptied and I, now, now, now it's full. Dude. When you say it that way, it, it emptied, it emptied. My life emptied. It just emptied. It's so, uh, so dramatic. But now it's full. It's super full again, dude. Uh, just like super, super full, but that's a good thing. Um, so just had a lot going on and, uh, and you know, Hey, that, that, that's, that's not a bad thing. So a lot of stuff going on with work and things. And honestly, man, I'll be honest. I'll just, I'm just going to shoot straight. I've played a little bit okay. of legends of Runeterra. But Teamfight Tactics started a new season this past week. It has been really hard. I did not love Teamfight Tactics in Season 3. If you don't know what Teamfight Tactics is, it's another game by Riot. It's another free-to-play game by Riot. Um, and it's uh, an auto-battler, an auto-chess game. And uh, they're pretty popular. They're pretty popular. But this new set is really cool. I'm not going to get into it because this is not a podcast about TFT. But I'm just going to say this. The normal time that I would have spent... So my one of my favorite times to play LOR is pooping and grilling. Those are like my two times. I go out... <laughs> I, go, I mean, everybody knows why pooping, but I go out and I, I, I cook up the grill. I turn it down low and slow, get the whatever I'm grilling, like done, done just perfect. And the whole time I just sit out there. I'm just on the edge of my house's Wi-Fi outside where my grill is. And I play a couple rounds of LOR. And that's one of the times that I like to play LOR. And I grill, I grill a lot in the summer. My wife likes, likes the grill. I love grilling. So, uh, but, but I have been playing TFT when I'm grilling now and it's so I need to get back it's like hard because that, that, that's like they're both my mobile games to a certain extent I got to get back um <laughs> to a little bit more of uh of LOR for sure yeah yeah no I uh I've gotten actually back towards uh trying to do some um some recording so that's really the the thing that's keeping me playing and I'm not really laddering too much but I've actually stumbled across a couple decks that I just really really like um playing and so that's just been even though i may not climb the ladder very fast uh that's been just a, a hugely fun and enjoyable thing of like these decks are just bringing me joy as i'm playing them which interestingly i, I will admit like i have i do find it harder to find 
decks that I want to play over and over and over again in Runeterra. I, I think that like much more like in Elder Scrolls Legends, one of the things as much as that deck had problems that that this game does not have, um, both in terms of like um, you know the marketing stuff, but also in terms of like the design. Like we we know from back in the day, like there were things that I just abhorred about the Elder Scrolls Legends, even though I loved the game. But I sure, will say sure. there was there was a lot more um i think because partly because of the bigger deck sizes but also just there was a bigger card pool a lot of times there were several decks that i could just play it you know ad nauseum infinitely an infinite number of games and just still just not get tired of like i i remember my patented item daggerfall list that just became like you know one of my signature decks on stream and i could just play that anytime anywhere and have fun you know yeah. And I think it's a lot harder for me to find decks that have that re that replay value in Runeterra, at least as of right now. And so having found one or two of them feels really good. I, yeah, so I found them in Lee Sin, and then they changed Lee Sin. We talked about it last week, so that's kind of mm -hmm. what I was doing this week, was I was messing around with a couple of different Lee Sin decks that were a lot of fun. So somebody, I think Templar, someone from the Discord sent me a uh, a Lee Sin deck an Ionia Noxus deck that is really really interesting uh because it runs Draven with uh with Lee Sin and of course mm. Draven generates you know spells uh with uh, with his axes and so uh it does get a chance to sort of power up Lee Sin but it's a it's a much more aggressive version right it's running Kato uh the arm uh which the opportunity basically the point is is that you want to get Lee Sin leveled up but then give him overwhelm um, with either Kato uh, or Might, and then you want to boost him with either Axes that are in your hand um, or Elixir of Wrath that you have in your deck. And so mm -hmm. it's some early game aggression, and it's not like a one-term kill with Lee Sin, but you want to get him leveled up, and then what you want to do with Lee Sin after you give him leveled up is you want to boost his power um, and then give him Overwhelm and then win, you know, putting out that last, you know, 10 to 12 or 14 points of damage in a turn. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's not great. It isn't great, but it is really a lot of fun. So that was kind of the deck that I was playing this week. And then someone in chat in Discord had mentioned uh, trying to make a dragon deck like I did back in Tessel um, and mm -hmm. said, you know, that was their, their favorite deck. So I made Master of Dragons and I took and combined the Targon Dragon build um, with, you know, the Herald of Dragons and Dragon's Clutch and then uh, some dragons in it. And then I did it with Lee Sin. It's, he's like the dragon monk, right? Yeah. Um, it's not good. It's super bad. Um, but I, I just looked up the word dragon and basically put put them all in there. Um, <laughs> turned out bad. That was what I was like trying yeah. to make it good this week. Yeah. It never got there. It never got good. But there is one really interesting card that you can play in that. And that is the... Uh, the Empyrean, which is the seven mana six five elusive from uh, Ionia, that is a dragon, which I didn't realize it had the dragon tag. So you can discount and buff with the dragon cards from Targon this seven mana six five and try to close out the game with a really massive elusive that sometimes comes down as like a, a seven mana seven six with elusive, which is pretty strong, or sometimes. You know, even a six or a five cost six five with elusive, which is just insanely hard to deal with. It's just wildly inconsistent and hard to pull off. So that that is what I was playing this week. But DBN, I did have a question for.
for you. Oh, I'm sure you're. Tell. I'm sure you're aware of this. Oh, but this week Bethesda got bought out by Microsoft. Yeah, I did see that. So that was kind of uh, that's kind of big news. Now this is a game. Our game is made by Riot, but we did cover a little game called Elder Scrolls Legends originally. That was did we? That, yeah, what? we did. No. Yeah, and it was made by Bethesda, and it is no longer being supported. Now, I don't know this for sure, but as far as I'm aware, Microsoft doesn't have a competitive card game. No, it doesn't. Is there any chance that we see a new infusion of cash and uh, priority on Elder Scrolls Legends? I mean, it's there. It exists still. Mm -hmm. The game is still there. It's still being played. The servers are still up. They're just not producing more material for it. Is there is there any chance, do you think, that we see micro Microsoft bringing it back, revitalizing and putting a new team to it? Well, two two things. Um, one is, uh, first off, uh, it's going to be a while before they ever actually have control over any of the properties. So like, we're looking at like probably a year delay on anything along those lines. I mean, because like all of, as much as Microsoft is, this is a bit, okay. From the macro perspective, this is a power play by Microsoft because the console wars are about to kick back up with the new mm -hmm, Xbox, mm -hmm. the new PlayStation and the PlayStation and Sony have always won the console exclusives war. The only thing that really, uh, the only two like IPs that were big from Xbox are Halo and Gears of War, both of which I think are kind of played out to an extent. Sure. I mean, people still buy those games, but like, you know, everybody still remembers Halo 2 and 3. And it's it's kind of like, well, what are we really getting now from some of these other games? I'm sure I'm pissing off some Halo fans here, but like, the bottom line is those, especially you know those, those IPs are a little tired. Meanwhile, over on PlayStation side, you get all of these indie games. You have every, like these big exclusives. Like Bloodborne was massive for PlayStation. Is one of the best ex, you know games to come out, much less exclusives. Um, and so this is them trying to get that big advantage. Now, Elder Scrolls will almost certainly launch on every platform. They're not going to lose money not dropping Elder Scrolls Six on, uh, you know, on PlayStation or whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. any of those side games like Wolfenstein, and uh, you know, Doom, right? Sure. And there's going to be big incentive to it at the very at the very least, like get like exclusives, just like uh, Sony does with like the Spider-Man and the Avengers games and stuff like that. You know, oh, like if if you play it on PlayStation, you also get. Like to play Spider Man, that's like a PlayStation exclusive thing, right? Oh, okay. okay. Um, so they're gonna they're gonna want to do that with a lot of those other games, and so this is a big move. Now, that's what's motivating this. It's it's motivating for the console. I really don't think Microsoft has a an interest in a lot of the smaller projects. So like um, uh, Commander Keen or like um, like Tesla, it's possible. They have more resources, you know, sure. um, to point to things. And the game's already, like, st structurally, the game already exists. But I wouldn't bet on it. I think that if Microsoft is smart, they'll look at the CCG market. They'll look at the fact that Tesla already failed once. Granted, it wasn't the game, the core game mechanics fault, except for prophecies. <clears throat> um, but <laughs> rather... Javelin. Yeah, sorry, piercing javelin. Uh, five mana for free, kill anything, great. Um, 
No, but but rather uh, it was mostly like the management of the game, the mismanagement, I should say, and, and just but whatever. I don't think it'll come back, and I don't as much as I would love for it to come back. I don't think it'll come back because it's not a priority, and the the market for CCGs is both cluttered and dying. And I, I don't mean dying as in like nobody's gonna play Runeterra. I mean dying as in like it's rotating out of popularity. Like it, mm. the, you know, in just the same way that like back in 2013 and 14, every single big company had to have a MOBA, right? Sure. I mean, you had MOBAs coming out of the woodwork for every conceivable brand. Well, that's played out. Okay. That, that surge is dying because now we just, we just have the staples Dota two, you know, League of Legends, heck, even Blizzard's MOBA, which was a pretty good game. Heroes of the Storm was a great game. Tons of fun. Even that has been, you know, just on server mode. Like, they're not adding any new content to it, you know? Um, and so we're at that point with the CCGs where there was a, a span there where everyone had to have a CCG. But now... Everyone has to have a Battle Royale. Everyone has to have a Battle Royale. Everybody has to have whatever the next thing is. There was auto-battlers for a bit there, you know? Sure. And so the ccgs are past their prime they're gonna exist if they have a foundation um and that's where like runeterra has come in kind of at the edge of it but their ip is just so strong it'll it'll be okay but there's not a lot of things with that and the elder scrolls because they haven't put out new elder scrolls games they don't have the strength of ip that league of legends has you know um like it's just not think, gonna happen i like to think that microsoft saw elder scrolls legends and they said to themselves we can't get our hands on that thing, but we'll buy all of Bethesda for several billion dollars <laughs> just so we can get to that money pit. Um, and uh, that's what I that's what I like. I like to think that the first announcement that Microsoft makes after buying Bethesda is that they are indeed going to reawaken Elder Scrolls Legends for all of the fans out there who have just been <laughs> chomping at the bit to get it back. Uh, you're right. It's probably not coming it, back, but no. I, there was a glimmer, right? There was this glimmer similar to when everyone was like, it's on the China servers and it's going to come back. Yeah. So it, it for all of you guys out there who've been listening to us just since we've been covering Legends of Runeterra in season two, I realize that a lot of that might be boring to you. But if you do like Bethesda games in general, it's probably not boring because Microsoft is a big company. And uh, and the acquisition of Bethesda Game Studios is a big acquisition. Like that's not a small deal. Um, no, it's a it's a pretty big deal. And I think too, like what's fascinating about this is like it it kind of establishes a trend in a way that the big name studios are now getting bought out by like the I can't think of the word right now. Just the, the tech distributors, right? Mm -hmm. So like. You know, Microsoft makes um, the the console, right? But, you know, Bethesda makes the game. So Microsoft buying out the, you know, kind of centralizing power, so to speak, right? Uh, that's hitting the game industry at, at, in a bigger wave than before. A lot of times you'd have smaller studios get picked up by Sony, by Microsoft, whatever. But, I mean, for something as big as Bethesda, studios which studios get picked up by bigger studios, like it was. Well, that's pretty. Well, yeah, that's a, pretty. A, common. a small studio to be picked up by a big studio, sure. Right, um, but now we're seeing that sort of consolidation of the chain here, right, um, amongst the consoles, and I think too, like Bethesda was one of the biggest names in gaming. 
right? If you if you think about like the last however many last decade even we'll just say the last decade sure right if I'm thinking of like the biggest name like uh, game developers I would say like Blizzard I'd say Bethesda and maybe like Bioware mm, right yeah I was thinking like uh, off the top of my head maybe like EA and I guess Riot yeah Riot EA even like they they made a lot of like it depends like it, I guess well it and EA is EA is also a, EA is the publisher so okay. like. So EA, I mean, so EA is the publisher, but like Shows for studios, right? Um, but for studios, uh, I mean, Bethesda was so like so big, so popular, you felt like they were going to be around forever, and like now they're not in control of their own, you know, fate yeah, anymore, yeah, yeah. so to speak. Um, and it's because they kept missing on games. I mean, think about the last however many games, with the exception of Doom. Right, which yeah. was pretty popular and pretty big. Like, look at like the Wolfenstein games were underperforming. You Elder had Scrolls this... Online was Elder Scrolls... hard flop when it first came out. Right, Fallout uh, seventy six and four. Yeah, Fallout four and the uh, online or whatever was a huge disaster. They yeah. lost a ton of Fallout, money there. Fallout seventy six was the online that's one. It. Yeah, that's and it. that that's one it. That's flopped it. hard. Um, and so, you know, it's funny because we're seeing the same thing with Bioware. Bioware had some big flops with Anthem and with Mass Effect Andromeda. As much as I wanted to love that game, I had a really hard time loving it. Um, and even like Blizzard is starting to make these big missteps. And you're just wondering what it is about these big companies where, you know, especially like if you look at Blizzard as the epitome of never misses on a game, which they didn't for a long time. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and now all of a sudden they had the whole uh, Diablo mo like mobile fiasco coupled with like um, the the uh, was it Warcraft three remaster that was just terrible. Mm. Like the goodwill that was attributed to these big studios that had these massive hits like, you know, a Skyrim like overwatch and diablo 3 and you know you had um the mass effect series from uh, and dragon age right mm -hmm. they're making these mistakes and like you're starting to wonder these big name studios are on these the trend and bethesda is just the first one to drop you know yeah, it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of weird the way the landscape is shaking up and you know interestingly like economists have been like predicting that the video game industry is going to collapse in the next 10, 15 years. Some thought it would be even earlier. A lot of people thought it was going to be after the, the microtransaction, you know, span where like studios saw loot boxes and freaked out, put loot boxes in every game um, that lasted for like two or three years. And a lot of people predicting the, the collapse of the video game industry there. And you just start to wonder with these big companies going under, but also becoming consolidated under the like distributors of the tech. Like to me, that's like a recipe for disaster. Well, you're seeing more and more people wanting to play smaller games, indie games. You know, I will say mm -hmm. this, the anomaly is Nintendo, right? Um, Nintendo, really in, in many ways like they just reprint the stuff that they've already re-released the stuff they've already done it's true but a lot of the stuff that they but it's kind of like listen we're not going to pump out a billion games a year we will give you access to stuff you've played before if you want to replay it remastered but they put out less games a year but the ones that they do put out they make sure they put the time and energy in to make sure that they really kill it in those games um 
You know, and yeah. I think like, you know, we're not getting a new Legends of Zelda game every year or every six months. We're getting remakes of older ones, and then we're going to get a new Breath of the Wild eventually because Breath of the Wild absolutely killed it. And Breath of the Wild 2 will probably absolutely kill it because they're not trying to put out a brand new Zelda game every This is a lot of banter. Obviously, I don't want to get, you know, too deep into this. Well, but I do think I it's mean, interesting I, because of the, yeah. the acquisition of Bethesda. I mean, that's a huge well, game and game company to get to get picked up. Right. And if you look at um, actually like the history of video games, and I, I've actually taken a few courses uh, during to get my history degree for what it's worth. Um, I took a couple courses in video game history um, and uh, which they are offered. <laughs> they're and one real, of the things, guys, they're real. It's, it you happens. Promise. They're real. Yeah, it's a real thing. Um, I don't know if there's a degree for that, but uh, I remember reading about uh, the collapse in from atari and the issue was atari was not able to ensure quality of the games that their system could play right and because they did what's called like third-party publishing where people would make games that could be played by the console right um and uh atari saw a no kickbacks but also never could know if that game was legitimate or, or, or not um people would Put stuff out so so that's where nintendo actually revolutionized the industry which was effectively locking the system such that you had to have whatever special coding on your disc or car your cartridge at the time for the console to play it you couldn't just make a game that was compatible with the software in the console the console was like basically encrypted such that the developer a had to get a slice of the pie you know, but B had to ensure that this game isn't complete and utter trash. I mean, there were games uh, like that, like Colgate hit notoriously, like Colgate had a, a dentistry game for that they made and <laughs> distributed for the Atari. And I mean, it was unplayable trash where you walked around with a, the, the, some little eight bit character walked around with a toothbrush or whatever. Um, and like scraped, you know, it was just, a, <laughs> it was a playable advertisement. It was a playable oh. advertisement. And that's why that it collapsed great. the first time was because nobody could ensure quality, right? Um, and so, like, the, famously, like, the E.T. game, um, they ended up, like, burying uh, E.T. cartridges in a landfill. That's how many... It was costing them money because it, the game was so bad, everyone returned it, uh, and so, like, it completely ruined Atari. So, like, we're looking at a different situation now, but with the massive... Uh, the massive amount of money that these AAA games cost to produce, uh, a big miss hurts them bad. I mean, think about like Battlefront uh, when that came out, or Battlefront 2 when that came out for EA. I mean, if EA wasn't one of the most like lucrative and like you know deepest pocket company or publishers, they would have been in deep trouble. And as it stood, their stock plummeted after the the battle front two like loot box oh, things blew up and became the most downvoted post on reddit ever yeah, right it was bad and all you need is a couple more hits like that and the the you know the more consolidated the industry is the more damaging it's going to be when something you know really hits the fan like that yeah and so the easier it is for microsoft to make an offer you simply can't pass up <laughs> well there's that too yeah uh, if they play their cards right it's good for them but if if they don't then you're losing not just the game company but you potentially you lose the system that you play the games on i mean that's a really worst case scenario but uh it's definitely uh you know the more consolidated it is you know the bigger they are the harder they fall and that's kind of it's kind of how things are moving between like amazon disney and now of course the you know, if the game industry really does consolidate under the Sony versus 
Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft banner, you know, with Nintendo off to the side doing their own little thing. Uh, the more and more that consolidates, the more harmful it's going to be if something really goes, you know, belly up. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Well, you know what? We're, let's talk a little bit about Legends of Runeterra being that's, you know, that's what we're talking about. I guess I that's mean, our game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was a lot of banter, so th that's good. But let's go ahead. At that um, point, it wasn't banter. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, you're right. Something was, else entirely. It wasn't even, it was just talking. Um, but it, I think, once again, I think I think, it, <laughs> I think it's an interesting conversation. Um, we do, uh, do want to actually talk about the deck name game. We're trying to make a choice uh, of a deck name game winner every other week. So if you want to enter into the deck name game competition where every other week, we pick a winner from our discord you need to join our discord there is a invite in the script the description of this episode you could jump over uh, underneath of legends of runeterra i believe uh in that section of channels there is the deck name game channel you can go over there post a, a, a description of your deck with the name and then also we need to know what is in the deck so go ahead over there and you can post a deck code um and uh along with the the right things and it will give uh give the deck um but dbn i want you to go ahead and take a moment take us through um the deck that we ended up choosing this week for deck name game and tell us a little bit about why we ended up choosing it oh and, and whose it is of course oh boy here i go Yeah, um, so for this week, we are choosing the submission by Bones. Uh, it is a PNZ and Targon list, which I thought was pretty interesting because of the combination of cards we have here. But we have Vi and we have Timo, hence the uh, the cop uh, division, but also the, uh, the being narcotics, uh, because between Timo and the Puff Cap Peddler, um, being able to put a lot of puff caps in the opponent's deck and with so many spells, and guys, there is a lot of spells. Uh, 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 16, 19, 22 spells here. 3, 6, 9, 12, 18. Yeah, 22 spells. Uh, unless some more spells than uh, characters. And, of course, with the ability of the Mentor of the Stones and the Spacey Sketcher to be able to uh, create more spells, or yeah. in the case, actually, Spacey Sketcher can create dudes as well. Um, but uh, you're going to be able to put lots of puff caps in the deck, but you're also going to be able to play lots of spells to get Vi up to that magical 10 attack uh, so Vi can strike and do nasty level-up things. Um, and, of course, there's plenty of removal in this because it's PNZ. Thermogenic beams, mystic shots, get excited, whatever. But then you also have a lot of more buffing between Pale Cascade and the Zenith Blade, really to help keep some of those things, those threats alive, get some favorable trades. Um, and what I really like in here is, is too, with the reversion of Flash of Brilliance to three mana, it actually really helps. Obviously, all of these things that want to cast multiple spells, but especially the uh, inclusion of the new Tri-Beam Improbulator. I had to look up this card because I, I didn't know what it did. I've had it um, played against it is, me a few times. Not many, but a few. It has never been played against me. And it's fascinating. Four mana, slow spell. Deal one to a unit and summon a random one-cost follower. But while it's in your hand, whenever you play a three-cost card, you increase that value. So if you've played two, three... Even four three-cost cards, you could be dealing five and summoning a five-drop. That's just a really, really cool card effect, if you ask me. And between all of the uh, three-mana spells, 
splash of brilliance and get excited. You have even got Hush in there, which, by the way, can create fleeting copies to cast more. And Zenith Blades, which pull the other copies. There's just plenty of ways to do it. I think that's just really, really cool. Mentor of the Stones actually counts as well, uh, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, because it's a three-cost it card, not just a spell. three-cost card. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yes. one of the reasons I voted for this was because Bones has actually been posting some some screenshots or just some, like, some, some game reports where he's getting mm -hmm. sometimes like two, three, four hundred puff caps in somebody's deck throughout the course yeah. of a game, which is literally just wild to me. Um, and I just thought, you know what? There are all of us have like tried Teemo. Most of us have tried Teemo before and been like, ah, oh, he's kind of hard to make work. Um, but for whatever reason, with this deck, Bones really got him to work. And uh, it seems like a fun deck to play. Uh, and I yeah. love the theme of kind of like the cop plus the smuggling. Kind of got the good guys and the bad guys in the deck. And I, I think mm -hmm. that that's so fun. Uh, it was just a really, uh, I think it was just a fun and playful name. So it, it caught her eye. Yeah. Plus there's also the assembly bot, which you basically never see anywhere. The three mana one, one, when you cast a spell, give it plus one, plus one. Um and I don't know how I'd be interested to see from uh, from play how often this actually lives. Uh, but there's so many spells in the list and so many ways to play multiple spells, uh, especially when you're getting gems from Mentor of the Stone that I've got to imagine Assembly Bot is an absolute blast to mess around with. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if you play if he if you have a Assembly Bot on the board and let's say he's a three three someone mystic shots him and you hit him with two stones those stones each are one mana plus two plus two mm -hmm. uh which is pretty crazy yeah. um this deck yeah. really seems like it has uh, several different ways to win between vi the puff caps you know with stalling out and letting those burn the opponent down but also the assembly bot being able to beat face alongside like a zenith blade to give it overwhelm like, there seems to just be quite a few ways to win with this deck, and I always love uh, lists like that. So so big props to Bones for for putting this one together. Uh, we'll have the code in the uh, in the show notes, so you guys yeah. can uh, can check that out. Yeah, be sure to check that one out. I think it's cool if you were looking for a new, fun Teemo deck to play. Um, the Teemo Vi with some Targon in there is definitely one mm -hmm. to check out. And so... One that I am going to be playing this week because I, after looking at the actual deck list, I was like, this is cool. Like, I, I think, oh, I think, yeah. I think this is, I think this is fun. We have a couple of news items to get to before we go into, we're going to do a top five list this episode, um, looking at the new cards because we're probably only a couple of weeks out from the next hit of cards. Um, so, so anyway, uh, so look, let's just take a, a, a quick look at some of the announcements that we have first i just want to thank we had a brand new patron um who joined us which is really awesome and we deeply appreciate it so the juice uh was is someone from our discord um who is uh, our latest patron we really appreciate it thank you so much the juice for supporting the show you're incredible you're awesome what a great encouragement i want to go through and just thank all of our patrons because they have grown uh in a huge amount recently which is really awesome um something that was just like super and i think there's like some people who are following us as a creator now although they're not supporting but it, it's still awesome um we have lord remin which thank you so much for supporting us benjamin w uh kami s jonathan s 
Sam H., the Stricken Nine. The Stricken Nine has, has been around for a while. I think definitely mm-hmm. since the Elder Scrolls days. Um, Night Owl, uh, which I think also was from our from our, El- our Elder Scrolls days. Um, Will A. Uh, Shack Attack. Um, this this name is literally just uh, it, it, it's it's literally just symbols now um so the person that <laughs> gives their name is, is symbols um uh, jory m uh donnie uh martin and jake s matthew z brady s edward uh d aaron h um brendan g uh Falatar, maxwell m levi h andy f fevered nerd rage uh jamie g anthony p static sheep uh Escher, uh, okay, cringe lord, and the juice. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I think some of those people did support the show in the past and maybe aren't currently. I can't really tell the difference right here as a doesn't matter. They all deserve but, a but shout out. But you all deserve a shout out. Thank you so much for supporting the show and all that you've done for us. We really appreciate it. You guys are really incredible. We also had a really cool review that came through this week, and I wanted to make sure that I said something about it. So this came from Apocalypse. Um, he said, my go-to podcast. He said, when I started listening to LOR, Legends Cast became my number one source of commentary on the game, which I don't know if that makes you a, a good or a worse player, but uh, I look forward <laughs> to a new episode every week. I really appreciate Mark, a.k.a. The Lift and Dead Broke Nerd and what they bring to the show. The closing thoughts from Mark are always inspirational and something you don't get in other podcasts. DBN's analysis of the cards is always interesting to listen to and often make me think in different ways way to go guys apocalypse thank you so much for that rating and review over on itunes guys if you want to support the show you can do that in multiple ways you can go over to patreon.com legendscast and get behind us financially we always say give us a quarter an episode one dollar a month one dollar a month a quarter an episode we would love that it, it, it means so much to us but anything makes a difference and we really appreciate it, it helps us do things like what DBN is going to announce in a moment and do things like our giveaway, which we'll have next week for a Legends cast hat, which you can also get. We draw someone from our Patreon each month to give a, a super sick Legends cast hat um, away to. And so if you're in our Patreon, you get uh, put in that drawing every month to win a Legends cast hat. But you can also go and leave us a, a rating and review over on iTunes. If you leave us a five-star rating and review, I will read it out on the show just as a way to say thank you for your support. DBN, you have an announcement about the Legends cast Discord League Season 2, right? Because we're closing up our, our signups for that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys are going to want to make sure you get signed up. This episode will drop on Friday the 25th. And so that's when you guys are hopefully listening to it. But regardless, uh, the signups will end on Friday, October 2nd. So that's one week from when this episode first goes live. You're going to want to get signed up. It's going to be an absolutely awesome uh, Legends Cast Discord League Season 2 We've got some slightly updated rules, so you want to check those out. I won't go over all of them right now, um, but it's really simple. Get on in the Discord, hop over to our... We have an entire like subdivision of the Discord for LC Discord League, and you'll go to the channel that is marked League Signups. You'll click on the form that is pinned there, and it literally is just simple. You'll need to put in your Discord name, uh, you'll need to put in your uh, your Riot in-game name and what region you're in. And good news is we should have Cross Shard up 
so that we'll be able to yeah, it's, it's up right have, now, I have everybody playing against each other and uh, it'll be it'll be really cool so we've gotten some good buzz plenty of people have signed up we want to get even more we want to see how many people we can get signed up for this discord league and there's some great prizes you guys can win first place we'll get 50 bucks for a google play or apple a gift card that they can use to buy all the sick new champions or sweet boards or emotes or yep. whatever. Um, and then we'll have prizes for second and third as well. And even if you don't, uh, even if you don't place right and you don't get some of the money first place, by the way, also gets a legends cast discord hat, like the one I'm wearing right now. If you're watching, they'll also get to come on the episode for an interview. Yep. Just, just like, like static sheep yep. did. So um, plenty of cool prizes. If you guys are fans of the show and you want a chance to come on the show and join us for a bit, go ahead and get on in there. There's going to be some great competition. But even if you don't uh, get into the uh, the top three, you'll be entered into a drawing if you complete all of your matches. If you play your match every week, heck, that can be the only Legends of Runeterra that you play that week. Uh, you'll be entered into a drawing to win another legends cast hat these things are amazing it's the same ones we pull for the patrons uh once a month and uh, i think i think we may have to order some more because these things are like super good hats and and everyone i've talked to has has admitted yeah i really want one of those hats yeah. <laughs> so They're they've nice. been very very popular well received um so and and heck you know one of the best things and, and static sheep said it, you know when when he was on the podcast he said you know it's so cool getting to talk with the people in the discord kind of and just you know even after and before a game just hang out and chat about the games and you kind of get to know some of the people better there's plenty of people that played in the league that kind of lurked on discord before and then after the league they really started you know coming in and chatting about things and sharing deck lists so i just think it was a really awesome success for our community and this season's going to be streamlined a bit and it should be even more competitive uh and fun for everybody involved so I i'm just really excited i hope you guys come in and get signed up for it yeah, definitely join the Discord League. And I think we're still waiting for a few patrons to chime in on our patron chat in the Discord yes. to decide exactly what rules I'm going to have to play in it. Because I think right now I'm like on mono region Highlander decks that also <laughs> yeah, prevent me from using <laughs> anything that's like a, a, I, I will be out like round three. Um, oh, no, we'll two. we'll come up with some really interesting ones. Uh, so... I <laughs> somebody, somebody recommended uh, you have to run minimum six poros or poro related cards <laughs> uh in every deck uh, and so nah see as well that's what i'm thinking that's see you think that but there's some good poros out there man plus plus know, man you run you just run three of the poros from each faction and then 34 cards can be whatever you want <laughs> not if i have um, to do highlander <laughs> well that's true it, well we'll we'll come up we'll see what it is but if you are a patron uh, I'm I'm dead serious. We created a channel that is locked for Patreon supporters only. Get in there and start suggesting deck building restrictions for Mark. I'm going to have to pick some of my favorites and put up to a vote uh, over this next week. So uh, yeah. right now we've got a couple ideas, but I'm, I'm really excited to see even more. And we'll we'll get voting on them to see what craziness Mark has to do. So this time he doesn't get to the finals of the league <laughs> and drive me nuts. 
Well, I definitely won't. Uh, the last announcement is that we actually have had... This is really cool. So, organically, a big game of Dungeons & Dragons has come up. A West Marches game. If you're unfamiliar with that, Google it. Um, but if you're interested in Dungeons & Dragons and you're interested in playing either over voice chat or over play-by-post, um, jump into our Discord and let us know. And we can give you the Dungeons & Dragons player tag, which will open up all of the various chat rooms including the bounty board where you accept quests um and our various dms we are playing in rune terra and so uh different yeah. dungeon masters uh we have i think six or seven different dungeon masters have each adopted a whole region that they will run games in so i know the first couple of games that will be in the pnz region um have put, been posted to our bounty board um that uh, that nix is going to be running and uh, dbn's the dm for ionia i think i'm actually going to take over dming if i have the time in the next couple of weeks uh for targon um and uh and so there's going to be some opportunity so if you love runeterra and you love dungeon and dragons like i do then uh jump in there and consider joining the west marches campaign and create a character i'm going to be playing an ionian human monk um which i'm i'm really excited about that will be a lot of fun so jump in yeah. there and join that that will be really and cool. it's going to be it's a very like a uh, community-based experience there's nobody that's the way the west marches campaign works is that basically uh, players can create their characters and we have some certain, you know, rules and stuff about like, um, you know, character advancement stuff. It's based on like how many missions you complete and whatnot. But basically DMs, when they have time to organize a game, they'll post and then the players will organize and say, Hey, I want to play. Hey, I want to play. Yeah, we can do that time. Uh, and then we'll be able to go and, and run people through a uh, legends of Ruterra themed dungeons and dragons game, which I think is really cool. I know I'm really excited because I play a lot of D and D normally. Um, and I, I actually run, uh, right now I'm running a monster of the week campaign for some of my, you know, personal friends, um, that, uh, you know, from all over, but, um, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is something that I've been playing for a long time, and I love the thought, and I never played a play-by-post, but after reading some people doing it, I said, this is so cool. I'm going to have to get in on this because it's just that perfect blend of, like, you don't have to, like, sit down for four hours, you know, on an evening. You can kind of sure. spread it out and check it when you have time. But plenty of people, and myself included at some point probably, will be running you know, voice-based quests as well. So there's just a lot of different ways to play um and the idea is we just we have a lot of people in our community who both have share that love of runeterra and uh and the league of legends universe but also just are huge dungeons and dragons nerds like me and mark um and so when enough people started asking about it we said you know what we can create a space for that and and it got to the point where mark and i were both like you know what this is pretty cool like let's get in on this too <laughs> um so we just wanted to offer that for anybody who wants to to check that out if they're interested and if it's not yeah. for you no big deal yeah shoot me a private message or say something in general chat that you're interested we can add the D, D tag to you so you'll be able to see that stuff and hopefully be able to jump in but let's go ahead and jump over to some conversation about runeterra cards dbn and i have both come up with our top five favorite cards up to this point from Call the Mountain. We figured this would be a pretty good time to do that, considering the fact that we're going to be getting more Call the Mountain cards here in October. Um, and we're kind of, you know, right at the end of September. So I'm sure we're going to start hearing about some of that here soon. Three new champions, I think 30-some new cards. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what our top five cards are. Now they'll pay attention. 
Okay, DBN, uh, I think you should go first. Why don't you, well, I'll, yeah, you should go first. Tell us what your, your first of your five, and I imagine we should start off with kind of like if they're ordered, right, like number, like the lowest. I'm, I'm going to do four cards and my favorite champion of the Call of the Mountain hmm. cards. Okay, you, I can You get can do whatever that. you want, but tell I us. I had picked one champion too, so. Okay, perfect. So let's go back and forth, and we'll do our champion last because, you know, people mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. to know about champions. Um, so why don't you tell me about your first card that you picked for your top five? Okay, yeah. So I just want to kind of talk about my approach to this too because I think that's really important. Uh, I was looking through all the cards and trying to decide what my, um, you know, not, not just power level card because I think that that, is easy to go and say like i i initially was like oh pale cascade i said i don't necessarily love this card because of the card i love it because it's strong you know <laughs> um sure. and so i wanted to like create that separation there but as i'm looking through at all the cards and i'm looking at not just like how much i play the cards but also like you know what they do the interesting side of things um i kind of realized i feel that the the creatures the minions followers whatever they were that were printed uh really didn't jazz me i looked at you know i think all the champions are great uh i love the champions every, literally every single champion printed in the set i i think is really cool um and so i i couldn't include all champions i wanted to just pick one um but looking at the creatures there a lot of them are either a little underpowered or just uh kind of bland effects and there is a couple exceptions, but none of them really surpassed what I found to be a very rich and interesting pool of spells. I think the spells in Targon were big hits. And mm. so, and there's just, I, I mean, I'm looking and I, I had a hard time whittling down the four spells I wanted to pick. Um, and I knew they were all going to be spells. And, and anytime I said, well, maybe I should fit a creature in there, I would always like delete it, you know? Um, sure. And, and end up wanting so. I guess we'll start with the first spell I really got attached to at the beginning of the expansion, um, and that is Morning Light. I chose Morning Light, the five-mana slow spell. Give allies plus two, plus two this round. And if you have Daybreak, you'll activate all ally Daybreak effects at once. This is one of the most fun cards to play in a dedicated Daybreak deck. It's probably not even one of the strongest cards. In fact, many decks don't run it. They just hope that they pull it off of Ravan Daylight Spear. But I found it to be one of the most like enjoyable payoff cards. You start setting up your board just to see how many Daybreaks you can trigger at once. And it is just a genuine joy to play. So Morning Light is my first pick. So that's number five on my list. Okay. I don't, I'm going to try to, I, I think, I think I can do them in order my first four of the five. Um, and I think actually, to be honest with you, I think most of mine, if not all of them, one, two, three, yeah, all four of mine are spells actually, naturally. It was just, hmm. it was four spells. Interesting wow. though, because mine are all linked to creatures. Well, all three of the four are linked to creatures. So my number five uh, is monkey business. Monkey business <laughs> is a two mana slow spell that summons a powder monkey and if you plunder, you summon another Powder Monkey next turn. Loved this card because it just allowed me to play a little bit more synergy with Powder Monkeys. Played MF Gangplank towards the beginning, which I think became popular again as more of like an aggro deck. But I played it with Monkey Business and uh, also Monkey Idol whenever I was playing in the league with an MF uh, and Gangplank deck. 
and really had a lot of fun with it. Monkey Business was one of my favorite cards, not because it's one of the best cards, but because I loved, like there was turns where my monkey would go off from my monkey idol. I would cast Monkey Business and put another monkey idol on the board. And next turn, three powder monkeys were on the board. And I was just like ticking away people's health it was like kind of reach for me because I was, you know, consistently towards the middle of the game getting two, one, two, three of these off every round. Monkey Business became one of my favorite cards of this set, and it's come in number five for me. Nah, that's really cool. That was an honorable mention on my list. Uh, I looked at that a lot. I guess my thing is I really haven't played decks with them as much. And I've ended up cutting them from lists, but the card itself is awesome design. I really love it. Yeah, Mad Wheels in chat does point this out, which I think was helpful. That one of the other reasons that you oftentimes don't run Morning Light isn't because it's bad, but because it's uh, Leona's spell. So if you have a Leona mm -hmm. on the board on turn four and you have another one in hand, you can play Morning Light on turn five, yeah. which I'm sure we'll talk about during our champion spotlight today as well. Yeah, totally great point. Um, so the next one is, uh, on my list is going to have to be the Poro Cannon. The Poro oh, Cannon okay. is amazing. I love it so much. Um, I've played it in like three or four different decks. I've played it in like a very aggressive list, like two or three different aggressive lists, a discard list. I've played it in like a, a deck buffing list. Uh, and most recently, I've played it in what is a currently 8-0 Poro list, all in ranked. Um, all in ranked? All in ranked, uh, although admittedly, uh, my rank is pretty low. But <laughs> I've been playing against good decks, okay? Uh, but yeah, no, um, it is 8-0 and like pretty convincing. Uh, I've been playing a Poro list. I'm actually going to have a YouTube video up by the time... This episode goes live, so you can check out my YouTube page if you want to see this deck I'm talking about right now. And what's fascinating about this is it is a Poro-centric list. I mean, it's running the entire, like, Frailyard Poro package. Um, but the the fact that Poro Cannon and Daring Poro combined means you effectively have nine copies of the Elusive Poro, which if you're buffing all of your Poros correctly with Poro Snacks, and in this case, in my list, I also run Suit-Ups, which are perfect for a daring Poro, um, you're able to, you're able to both like smork someone down with a bunch of uh, elusive Poros or which you can keep buffing. Right. Or uh, you can get at least, you can always find at least one copy of daring Poro to slap down and then fuse alongside all your other Poros into a giant elusive, overwhelming heart of the fluffed and OTK someone for like 36 damage, <laughs> which is it's what amazing. everyone wants to do. Everyone wants to, and just, so just the level, because like Heart of the Fluffed always had those like OTK potentials, but mm -hmm. it was like too inconsistent with which keywords and stuff you'd get. And if you ran it with Daring Poro, you know, um, there's only three copies in the list. And so you're, you would be relying on your Poro herder to, or your Lonely Poro to find one sometimes. And so now between Poro herder, Lonely Poro, um, actually, I can't remember this 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 Poro Herder. Uh, I can't remember if he summons one or if he draws one from the I, deck. I believe he, he might draws draw one. one. I think he draws one from the deck. Um, so he can draw you the one from the from one of yours from the deck. But between that and between the lonely Poro and the Poro cannons and just running them naturally, you have so many ways to find it. Which means you have so much more consistency fusing them all together for a really awesome 
you know, one smack to the face kind of kind of play. Obviously, yeah, it, it's susceptible to hard removal or silence. But you know what? Let's not think about that. No, we're not going to think about, about that. let's think about smorking people in the face with daring poros. Um, so poro cannon has just been awesome. I've played it in so many different decks and just had so much fun with it. Nice. My number four uh, was hard to choose. I was actually between two different two-cost cards that I actually think are kind of the same. And they're not the same, but in th they're kind of the same. They're both some resource extension. Um, and I was between Pale Cascade and Stalking Shadows. Um, I like cards that do things and draw, so I like Pale Cascade, not just because it's powerful, but because it's a cool card. Um, but I ended up going with Stalking Shadows because I think that Stalking Shadows is just more creative. I love the way that Stalking Shadows uses Ephemeral. Um, I think it's a really cool way for it to use Ephemeral, and in every Shadow Isles deck that I've played, I have put Stalking Shadows in there, and in so many cases, um, it has just been a cool card. You know, it doubles another card that you really just want to get out of your deck it digs a little bit into your deck to be able to find your mist race or to be able to find your doom beasts um which i think are you know kind of like the the popular ones um but it can also dig into your deck to find a lot of other stuff that maybe you want a an extra copy of that you don't mind having an ephemeral copy of um i really like stalking shadows i think it's a really really fun card um and you can also play it with other cards that you know summon additional things um and you the summoned one that you get you know comes out without the ephemeral and so stalking shadows is my number four i think it's a really cool card and i think it was just very creative i think it's i know some people think it's maybe way too powerful i don't personally think that um i think that it was pretty well designed and i think it was a good power boost to uh shadow isles which i think needed it so stalking shadows comes in number four for me okay my number three is admittedly something of a like constructed not necessarily meta but a constructed power choice um and that is going to be the three mana spell bastion um Dude, i come on that was mine that was mine that was your number three that was my number three bastion is amazing uh and we can tag team this one since we share yeah. it okay go tell us why but look um as anyone who plays uh, who's played other like physical card games with me knows I love me some mid range lists and I love cancels. Mm -hmm. So like if I were a magic player, which I'm certainly not, and you guys know why I don't need to hash into that, but I would be playing whatever like the most mid rangey blue deck is. I love being able to say no to my opponent's stuff. Um, my, my, my beautiful crane clan in legend of the five rings is this amazing, like mid rangey list that focuses on turning off enemies abilities, uh, or canceling events, uh, while, you know, just putting out stats. Right. Um, and so, you know, if there's a list like that, that's what I'd be playing at any given point. And bastion is just so perfect for that as an alternative to the uh to deny which is one mana higher and fast bastion is a burst three mana spell and it's not as complete right mm -mm. but i think in that way it's a better designed card it protects it just does what i want which is protect my stuff and it gives me a no that can go in a different faction so now we have there's two factions that have a no um 
And so it's just, I, I, I love it. I think Bastion is just perfect for one more way to a protect your threats, protect your combos. Um, but also just the flexibility, the raw flexibility of it and being able to, to just say no to your opponent, make them waste their mana when they're not expecting to. I mean, how many, I've already won so many games with this card and, um, yeah, I'm done talking, but it just, <laughs> I, I, I played Ionia. Sometimes I'd find myself playing Ionia just for deny. And so this makes me really happy. Yeah. That I, I can go to a different faction for the, something like that. For something similar. Yeah I, I, yeah. I I mean, for all of the reasons that you said is, is many of the reasons that I like Bastion. Um, but it's simple. That's one of the things that I like most mm-hmm. about it. It's, yep. it's simple. There's a bit of elegance to it. It doesn't do the same thing as burst out of barrier. Um, it's a, it's, it's different enough that, um, that I, that I, I'm not like, oh, it just, it's just whatever's in, you know, Demacia. It's different enough that it isn't that. And I think mm-hmm. in, in some ways I like it more than I like just giving something barrier because it's not just a combat tricks in some ways, in some cases it denies an opponent's combat trick. Um, in other ways, it de- denies an opponent's removal. It's something that I think your opponent needs to think about consistently. I know that Hush has gotten a lot of hate. I honestly think that Bastion is a more powerful card to, than Hush in many situations, in any deck that has a proactive plan that needs to be able to defend its proactive threats. And so mm-hmm. I think that Bastion is a really cool card as well, and that is why it came in for me at number three number four i'm gonna go to or number two rather i'm gonna go to now so that in case you have the same one as me you can't steal it um Uh, so doubt it okay probably not my number two is another spell that's also oriented around creatures it's a shadow isles card it is risen mists this is the four (laughs) mana burst is it the same no, it's not, but that one is another one I considered, and I, I literally didn't pick it because I figured you would. Yeah, okay, well, I did. Is the four-mana burst, summon a mist wraith. Love this card. Love the artwork on this card. Once again, I, I really like the burst, summon a creature, so we don't really have much of that, much of that, but we did have kind of like the burst. It's like, what, one-mana um, burst, summon a 1-1, one, one, but if you discard it, you know, you, you cast it or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. which is a little, admittedly, probably a little bit more versatile for chump blocking and stuff. But there are times when your opponent attacks you and you have one mist wraith on the board and uh, and they're attacking you with fearsome units or something or they're attacking and getting favorable trades that you can throw risen mists out, um, burst that out and still block or burst it out and open attack. That happened to me earlier today in a lab. I, I just burst it out risen mists and buffed my board and was still able to open attack before my opponent was able to respond to it um really like risen mists i think it's a really fun card and i want to see them add more stuff that is spells that interact with the board in terms of summoning creatures this is four mana some people might say it's kind of expensive but you have to keep in mind always that spells do not cost the same is in other games as they do in this game because of spell mana you bank three spell mana with this thing and in many cases you play to the board and this this is a one mana mist wraith that oftentimes buffs other things on your board risen mist is my second favorite card so far to come out in the targon stuff 
Or in well, you know, the, that's it's not the even thing a Targan about... card. It's funny. Some of my favorite cards aren't even in Targan, most of them. Um, but, you know, my second favorite in the Call of the Mountain set. Well, that's the thing about Risen Mist is uh, you can, because it's at burst speed, you can play it and summon a Mist Wraith before attacking or before blocking. And that's just, like, massively huge. So very, uh, it, and, it, and it provides a, a kind of a, way to break up that open swing dynamic and see like okay either i open swing or i slap a uh, a creature down and allow them to put a blocker or play whatever you know fast or slow spell that they have you can sort of effectively put some more tempo on the board before swinging at a slightly higher cost so that's pretty cool um so going over to uh my number two card uh for for the Call of the Mountain expansion. I don't think you would be able to guess this one, Mark. Um, mm, okay, okay, okay. Don't don't say that okay. and then not oh, let me right. try. You, now you get a chance to guess. Mm, you said you already had your one meta, right? Like you had your yes, your card mm -hmm, that was going to mm -hmm. be meta, so this one isn't meta. And it's you do a, know it's all spells. I it, already said I, that. So it's a spell and it's not meta because my first my first go-to is going to be star shaping, but it's not going to be star shaping if it's not meta. No. I don't think that it's going to be, uh, you know, it, it could be cheap. I don't think it is, but because I don't think, uh, you know, I know that you like Sunblessed Vigor as well, but I'm kind mm. of feeling like that's probably not it. Okay, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Sunburst. Sunburst is my choice. Sunburst is your choice. You would be incorrect. Oh, so close though, right? No, not close <laughs> at all. <laughs> but close. Okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, my card is Messenger's Sigil. Messenger's, Messenger's Sigil? What the heck Messenger's is that? Sigil is my probably actually my favorite card of this entire set. It's just that uh, we're going to do the champs last. Hold up. How much so, does Messenger's Sigil cost? It is oh. worth one. Okay. Okay. I got it now. Yeah, I see what you're doing. All right. Messenger's Sigil. It shuffles five messengers into your deck. The messengers are 2-2 two -two space doggos that when they're summoned, you draw a card. These things are both adorable and cute, but also like so reminiscent of Ungolem, the listener from Tessel, oh, which is one true. of the most played cards in that game. Now, granted, they granted they had lethal, which made them super strong. Uh, they were they were one mana three three with lethal that said draw a card on summon. So Ungolem was stronger. Uh, but at the same time, you do shuffle five of these doggos in. Okay, and they're doggos, not grumpy assassins. So from a flavor perspective, so much better. Now, finally, I actually have a deck that has been doing pretty decent using this uh, using this card. It was actually Static Sheep's idea, so full credit there. Um, but that is ha that's been in a Diana Twisted Fate list. Um, that's a Nightfall heavy deck. That's kind of a very fast mid range. I have a video of that one up on my YouTube as well. Uh, but oh my gosh, if the dogs don't make TF so good, and mm. TF's already one of my favorite champs, so uh, it's got to be the Space Doggos for the win. Messenger Sigil, number two, secretly number one. Number two, secretly number one. Okay, hey, that's fair. I've never played Messenger Sigil. Does that hurt your heart? You know, it just makes me sad for you. 
It just makes me say you're you you are missing out, man. <laughs> well, I probably I probably am. I've, I actually looked at it when it first came out. I thought that's a really cool card, and then just I've, I've never played it. Okay, so let's talk about our favorite champion, which is you know maybe this actually isn't my favorite card of the of the Call of the Mountain set that's come out so far, but my number one at the top because it is a champion is actually going to be a champion that I didn't think I was going to like. Hmm. Are you going to guess? Yeah, I'm going to guess. I think it's mine. I think it's Tarek. Shoot, dude. Did we pick the same one? We did. <laughs> I mean, we did I it can, again. I could pick a different one, but yeah. No, 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 no. We picked it. We're doubling down. T- tell us why. <laughs> tell tell the listeners why we love Tarek. <laughs> Tarek for me was because of Tarek Lee Sin. Um, Tarek Lee Sin just lit up my world when I started playing it, and it became very quickly one of my all-time favorite decks in Legends of Runeterra potentially maybe my favorite deck that I've played so far with the exception of like that first time I played back in the closed beta um, whenever I was playing ephemerals were like crazy strong and Zed Hecarim was nuts because Hecarim was crazy Um, he was like he's gotten nerfed twice then I twice since then I think um, but Tarek was is just a lot more fun than I thought. I thought he was going to be really hard to pull off, but I found so he's so versatile and draws so many cards so often. You hit him with Guiding Light and then attack with him and support somebody. You hit him with uh, Pale Cascade, attack with him and support somebody. You hit him with his champion spell, uh, which gives him a permanent plus three, plus three, and then gives a permanent plus three, plus three to the thing that you're supporting. I I just loved Tarek. I, I did not expect to. I put him in a deck, and I was like, yeah, I'm not really sure about him, you know, but I heard that he's good with Lee Sin, and I really want Lee Sin to be good because I own the Lee Sin board, and I feel bad not playing Lee Sin when I own the Lee Sin board. And then, <laughs> uh, and then I discovered how much I actually enjoy Tarek. My biggest gripe with Tarek is that he and Leona are both four mana because I actually think Leona <laughs> Tarek might be fun to play together with maybe Demacia. Um, but uh, it's just awkward because both of your champions are at four mana and that's not always fantastic. Um, but I, I really like Tarek. That is my favorite champion so far to come out and call the mountain, knowing that we're still getting two more champions to come in the future, which I think we already know what they are. But uh, Tarek so far is my favorite to play with admittedly i haven't actually played trundle yet and i or lulu and i know a lot of people love trundle and lulu but i own them i just haven't played with them yet but tell us why you love Tarek. i mean basically what you said obviously the lee sin Tarek deck everybody who's listened to the last couple of weeks knows i've been raving about it and just really enjoying it but Tarek to me is one of the one of the champions that i feel has the most flexible way to play but while still retaining uh, a unique identity still retaining a lot of flavor um if you look at something like um like twisted fate now twisted fate his flavor is that he's flexible he's got the different cards i mean it works for him but there's a lot of champs like say zed i think leona as cool as as she is and i think a very very strong champion um sometimes slips down into this of just being a good stuff champ you know, kind yeah. of mm-hmm. like uh, Vi can sometimes be that way and definitely was before the uh, the health uh, nerf, right? Where they're just a good stuff champ. 
um, because of their their flexibility really doesn't have to do with any of the cool interactions, but rather has to do with just the simple thing it can do on its own. Tarek doesn't do anything on his own, but yet the support effect is flexible enough that you can copy so many, this massive range of spells, hand tough out to any massive range of allies, yeah. and the mind just boggles at the options of what can I play with Tarek? You can just think of all these different ways to play with Tarek. And I think that is really the sign of a promising and good champion, a one that's going to stay interesting as more cards come out. Because as much as I love Leona, and as much as I think Leona is a fun, you know, build around character, I do wonder what the longevity of my enjoyment of Leona is going to be. Whereas Tarek, I am positive that I'll always be looking for something new to pair with him. So that's why I picked Tarek. Sure, Tarek's kind of, or, or Leon is kind of linear, right? Tarek, Tarek offers a range of options, and I did not, it, it, before it was like, oh, he's a support champion, I don't really like support, but he's really not, like, he is a support champion, that's true, but you don't mm -hmm. play him because you're playing a ton of support synergies, you play him because he copies spells. Yeah. You're playing because yep. he doubles the value of every spell that you play. You you play him because you make him impossible to kill with uh, unrelenting spirit, and then he makes the thing he supports impossible to kill <laughs> with unrelenting spirit. Like, yeah, I, I just I think that he is really really cool and fun, and there's some creativity there with Tarek that I just haven't gotten the opportunity to explore yet that I hope to be able to explore and I hope we even see him like I think he will actually be good with some Demacia like Tarek Demacia dragons um, because we're going to get some more dragon support in the Demacia cards that are coming out I, I actually want to try if Shavana is any good Tarek Shavana dragons I think that that is going to be a really fun deck to play with dragon synergy is support synergy doubling Tarek spells uh, I think that there could be some fun stuff there. And there are some really good buffs that do exist in Demacia that I wouldn't mind copying with Tarek. So that's what I'm excited okay. about. So I'm I'm dropping a surprise on you here. Uh, oh, not only are we going to do the top five favorite cards, we're going to do the one card that uh, one card that you want to shout out for not being either not being good, not being what you wanted, just a card that you're upset about from this patch. <laughs> okay tell, uh, tell me what it is tell me what card for whatever reason you don't like it it's too good it's not good enough what is one card that disappointed you uh in call of the mountain this didn't okay let's be clear this card did not disappoint me this card made me disappointed with i'm not i'm not saying the entire development team but this this card seemed like a cop-out on Riot's claim that they want every card to be playable. And it disappointed okay. me in that way. Fledgling Stellacorn, the three mana one two, <laughs> three mana one two with lifesteal and is it barrier or spell, spell shield? shield? And I just looked at it and I'm like, and I still look at it and I'm like, do not try to tell me, Riot, that you are trying to make every card viable in some deck and then release fledgling stellacorn this card is garbage everybody knew it was going to be garbage it's unplayable please tell me what deck you thought this was going to be in my disappointment when i go through 
when I go through this, this card always sticks out to me when I look at the Call of the Mountain cards, and I look at it, and I'm like, no. Mm-mm. No. Don't, don't do this to me. This is the one of the first cards that I've seen come out from this team that is pack filler in a game that doesn't have packs. Yeah, I haven't seen anything that uses it, but I mean, maybe someday. I mean, Spell Shield's nice, but you're right. It, it's it, there's other there's other things with lifesteal. I mean, yeah. Naomi Kato in the chat says there is a Karma deck that uses it. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, maybe there yeah. is. But I I still think it's. But what's yours? What's your card that you were most disappointed in? Yeah, I have to be honest. I was so so excited for a controlly top end noxus card i was all hyped up for basilisk bloodseeker really so hyped dude i was real hype and i guess i maybe i should have looked at, read the fine print when i hear an enemy i think i can hit i'm like oh I, i'll be able to hit their face it's not a, a unit or a but as it turns out deal one to an ally and an enemy four times does not allow you to hit the opponent's face and as such basilisk bloodseeker which could be decent for removing things has just been this big disappointment because it can't hit my opponent in the face when i have swain out darn it um mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. basilisk bloodseeker is just a big old big old fat disappointment um so I, I just really want I just really want a like not a Riptide Rex level like power level card, but something reactive, you know, on a creature. A good, you know, I mean, I think back to the Tesla days and you think about cards like Uncano, you know, and how that could anchor a mid-range list or even like mm -hmm, be the, mm -hmm. you know, a good controlling tool at that top end. Yeah, it was really strong. It put a creature on the board and dealt damage, but it, it also was, you know, it just, it was flexible. It put yeah, a body on the board. And I just want that for Noxus. I want it for Noxus bad because I have all these other cards in Noxus that are higher end cards that I want to play, but they just don't get the job done. I want to play a slower paced Noxus deck, darn it. And I don't want to have to rely on Bilgewater to do it. <laughs> hey, uh, in the chat, uh, 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 Numani Kiddo, or yeah, I, I know I'm mispronouncing that, but he says he likes putting tough on Crimson Disciple and then using <laughs> Bloodseeker on it. Uh, that is a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nemo uh, is fine, he says. Yeah, that is yeah. a lot of work. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I had to, I had to click the button "Show Unowned" to find Basilisk Bloodseeker. So <laughs> yeah, no, you just, I, I mean, it, there are. It's not that it's unplayable, but it's just it doesn't do what I wanted it to do. It doesn't. It's not that big, versatile card that can be this awesome new, you know, tool in in the control Noxus tool belt. Uh, and by the way, while we're on that topic, I mean, and this is not to do with the Call of the Mountain anymore, but I I really have to say I'm a little disappointed in Riot for not doing a little bit more with the Noxus champions and like giving them some reworks. Um, we saw the Lee Sin rework, and I guess Noxus is just they're okay with Noxus being like Swain. Um, yeah, Swain is like really the only like 
super playable. I, I don't want to say the only viable because we'll see Draven. We saw Darius for a little bit, but that was just sort of like a weird combo deck, right? Um, but I, I just look at um I look at the champ roster on Noxus and I just say, wow, like Katarina is very underpowered, doesn't even do what it wants to do well. Um, Vladimir is almost never played uh, because he just he's so slow and requires you to have a board to do anything. So like between the two, like there's he's just like if you have a board that Vlad can then zap for a bunch of damage, you're probably already in the driver's seat. Maybe not quite winning yet. But the point is, I mean, I've already I've always said, even though I don't think Darius is a bad card, it's too basic to ever see like big play unless you're making some sort of combo out of it. Um, I think Draven and Swain are really the only viable champs at the moment. Like for at least longevity outside of like memeing or outside of like weird situational combo stuff kind of like darrowing was you know um so i'm just very disappointed with cat and vlad especially but i would really love darius to kind of do something at level one <laughs> yeah please make darius do something at level one um so i just i i just i guess i'm just really disappointed that they seem to have kind of they seem to not know what to do with noxus which is a shame because there's a lot to love in this in this faction and only Swain really sees that love. Right now, right now. Yeah. And well, I know. I mean, I'm talking about right now, you know yeah, what I mean? Like uh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing, right? We the, the, I, I I hear what you're saying, but we also have not seen the Noxus champion for Call of the Mountain yet. So, you know, we are going to get a champion for Noxus. And so Sure. I, I guess I'm just yet. But I mean, I mean really but you have to admit, like Cat, Vlad, and Darius all basically being niche or no play, that's not that doesn't live up to the standard that they've made with like most of the other factions. I mean, oh no, that's you, fair. you can you know, you can look at most of the other factions, and yeah, there are some that are less played than others, but even like even if you go over to Shadow Isles, if you go over to Shadow Isles, right? Um, Elise, Callista, Maokai, Thresh, Hecram, and Nocturne have all at one point or another been you know been top tier champs slash are still playable now even if they're not top you know even if they're sure. not like top tier hecarim is probably the least played at the or hecarim or maokai and yet they are both played you know and they both do something well and you just don't feel that from uh from noxus so that's just my little my little gripe here well yeah you know every every couple of weeks uh dbn has to remind us that he is uh, the biggest fan of noxus and uh and he's trying to remind the devs uh who may or may not listen to this uh podcast nah, probably that, not uh, probably <laughs> not anymore they, they probably <laughs> don't that you need to give noxus some love but let's get over to our champion spotlight for this episode because we do have one last target champion that we want to highlight and spotlight before we move on to uh, champs outside of target if if we even do that but uh yeah let's go ahead and move over to our champion spotlight our champion spotlight this week is going to wrap up with the Targon champions. We actually talked about this champ a ton when Targon first came out because it was our first go-to. We're going to be looking at Leona. Leona is, uh, I don't know, she's like the light bringer or something. I, I can't remember exactly. Um, But Leona... Lore. What was that? <laughs> lore. Yeah. We don't know any of the lore. <laughs> I, don't any of, uh, I don't even know her <laughs> full name, uh, her tag, but Leona is a four-mana 3-5 champion from Targon. She has Daybreak, which means that she 
shoots the first card you play in a round, she will stun the strongest enemy. Her level up is you have stunned or, or activated Daybreak four plus times. Her leveled up ability is uh, Daybreak. She's a four mana four six with Daybreak. Um, or when you activate another Daybreak, stun the strongest enemy. So of course, if you have her on the board and you play a Daybreak, you play her, she stuns something. You play a Daybreak next turn, it stuns something. You play a Daybreak next turn, it stuns something. Or if you have uh, the guy who makes it daylight all the time or daybreak all the time, you can play a chain of daybreak cards and continually stun your opponent's board and overwhelm them with her. Leona is a card that me and DBN both talked about a lot at the beginning, and we both think that she's pretty strong. DBN, let me ask you, how has your opinions about Leona stayed the same or even changed since uh, the release of Call of the Mountain when we first talked about her? Sure. I still think Leona is the strongest champion in Targon. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's the strongest champion like in this set so far, um, but I'm inclined actually to say it is. Um, Leona's versatility is just off the charts. It's kind of at the TF level of just versatile mm -hmm. and just kind of, it, you know, anything that comes down and does something on its own without the need of other things is good. Leona, a four mana, three, five, great stat distribution coming down and stunning the biggest thing on its own is good on attack and on defense. So just, just playing Leona onto the board is a strong play, right? And a lot of the champs, you don't get that. So, um, and then there's the fact that, Leona has a ridiculously powerful support package around her um, and a support package, which in my mind is maybe even ever so slightly overtuned, but not necessary to nerf because Targon has very limited ways of playing because they have such a reduced card pool compared to the other factions. But eventually yeah. we may in fact see Leona's package get slightly touched. I don't think Leona needs to be touched, but the bottom line is, Leona, when her daybreak package gets curved out, it completely shuts down aggro. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely. Completely. Hitting the Solari soldier on one, making a one mana three three that almost no one can combat, and then going and grabbing a two mana three six on turn two, which almost nobody can match is just absolutely ridiculous. And something that, I mean, while fun to play, uh, can just, just ruin any non elusive aggro list. Um, which I think isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's, it's just the potency of it makes Leona, which you're not really going to play Leona without that strong early game daybreak package. Um, it, it, she she has become in my mind um a she's a half of a deck you sure. take leona and add another half to two-thirds of a, of a deck and then you play that um and in many ways that has kind of made me that's kind of like faded me a little bit on leona um only because that's not as interesting um, yeah, I, I think she's very, very strong. I've gotten a little tired of playing Leona decks because they end, they, they tend to end up playing basically the same way every time. Agreed. Um, and, and I guess you want your decks to play the same way every time, but I'm saying like, but from one Leona deck to another, you can pair Leona with one thing, pair Leona with another thing or another, and you might play off of some of the strengths in different ways, 
but you're basically going to end up doing the same thing. I remember one of my most interesting games, admittedly, was playing my Leona Aurelian Soul list against a Leona Yasuo list. And we basically played the same plays for the first five turns. And for the rest of the game, we're just going back and forth, stunning each other, trying to get a micro advantage over. It makes for really interesting viewing. But uh, I, I think that it by the end, I was like, that was a really cool game. I don't want to have another one like that. <laughs> That's it. One and done on that one. Uh, right. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Uh, Leona for me. So how has my opinion changed on her? And I was trying to sort of... Throughout the day today, I was trying to think about that because I knew we were going to talk about Leona. And the funny part is, is that I I tried a couple of different builds. So I played Leona Aesol. I played Leona Diana before Leona Diana was a thing. My, my deck's worse than the one that was refined. Um, and I played Leona um, Elise with kind of like a spider flood board focusing on using morning light to swarm the board and then mm-hmm. and then buff everything and and uh, and punch through. And actually, that was probably one of my, my favorite ones, favorite versions of my Leona decks, because it was just it, it was almost like a token deck um, that you would play in other things. But instead of maybe using Divine Fervor like you did in Tessel on turn five, you used Morning Light on turn five. And even if she wasn't leveled up, it oftentimes if she was on the board, it would stun something and add plus six, plus six or plus eight, plus eight across the board, which was plenty enough for me. Um so I, I, but I haven't played her much. Like you, I sort of explored other things because A, we did champion spotlights each week. I don't always have a ton of time to play. So I, uh, I, I've played, you know, the cards that we were going to talk about. I sort of fell into Lisa and Tarek and that kind of came the sweet spot for me. And I agree. She's, she herself is versatile, but her kit is ultra linear. Her, her kit is mm-hmm. turn one, Solari soldier, turn two, the Solari Soul Break Soul Soul Bearer or Shield Bearer, Shield. whatever. Yeah. Um, turn three, you want to play the the thing that uh you know looks for a card, or um you want to play the sword. Turn four, you want to play Leona. Turn five, you want to play um you know the, the yeah Robin. Uh, and then from there, you just want to snowball the board and win. And so you know, I think that that it, you're right. She plays the same every single game. I'm interested to see if we got some daybreak cards that maybe were a little bit more interesting. Like turn one, turn two, get stats, get stats, turn three, add stats, turns four, statted, leveled up minion, um, turn five, five mana, five, five, just does kind of get a little bit long in the tooth for me. Um, yeah. I think that there could be like, and I was just even thinking like, what what if they release like a three mana, a three mana, three, two with daybreak gain elusive, like that would break her. Um, you know, if they added some more consistency because Leona is not always great. Um, I don't know. Leona is not always fantastic. Uh, if you don't get turn one, turn two, turn three daybreak cards, you do often get them. But when you don't, if they add more redundancy in order to increase the consistency of mm-hmm. playing Leona leveled up at four, I think they could break the game, but at the same yeah. time, I don't, I'm a little afraid I don't that think it's going to be boring. I don't think they'll add any daybreak that is below four cost. I hope that they don't, but at the I, same I think, time, I, think I they hope don't, that they do because I want something more creative and fun that's maybe not statted as strongly in turns one, two, and three that will make me want to go back and play daybreak. You know, something that's a little bit more versatile. I mean, I think that they could definitely run. I was surprised not to see like a heel based daybreak card. Um, that would make a lot of sense to me. 
I, I felt like that would make sense, you know, but um, I wouldn't mind something like that. Uh, in fact, I think about like a card that maybe would be cool as a daybreak, like Guiding Touch is a card that if that had Daybreak attached to it, weirdly, it would um, or like the Daybreak was just attached to the draw one or, or something like that. That would make the card way worse, but it would actually weirdly make it better for Leona. Like Leona mm-hmm. would prefer Guiding Touch to have Daybreak because you could uh, it would be redundancy for getting make sure Leona comes down leveled. I think that they could do something along the lines of like um, some sort of like big finisher, like board centric finisher on like seven, I think would be interesting. Um, but I don't think they'll do it because they would have probably included that in this package. I, I kind of think that they might like occasionally throw a bone to an underwhelmed, uh, underwhelming archetype, kind of like the powder monkeys got one, a, a card. Um, mm-hmm. But they, the, I don't think that will be in the rest of the call of the mountain expansion. I think that they're going to just purely dedicate the slots to, um, <laughs> whatever the new kind of synergies are from the other champions. Right. Um, so I don't think we'll get a daybreak card until after call of the mountain completely releases. That's just my, my gut is telling me that. Um, and I don't, I, I actually think that's fine. I, I really, I, I mean, maybe we'll see a daybreak that crosses over to another champ or something like that. Um, but it will be more centric on that champion. I suspect than on anything else. I, you know, something that I thought could be interesting, and I, I was just running through, because I think that, you know, Leona kind of wants to get pushed towards working with Demacia to a certain extent, um, and Demacia has, you know, barriers, and I think it would be really cool to get, like, a, even, like, a card in Demacia. I mean, this would be redundancy in Demacia, so maybe not, but maybe maybe keeping it in Targon. Something like, you know, four mana, a slow spell, um, give an ally barrier, and if you then daybreak, right, you get this additional effect that um, allows you to basically single combat, right? Um, so you give your creature yeah, that barrier. That could be cool. And something like that G- where, Give daybreak some form of removal. Yeah, that could be neat. Give daybreak some But like some daybreak removal. locked. Yeah, but it, it's it's locked behind Daybreak, which I think would be cool. And I think also um, just like uh, spells for Daybreak, I think are interesting instead of just creatures. Um, removal for Daybreak or healing with Daybreak, I think is interesting. Or draw with Daybreak, like we have draw for Nightfall uh, with Pale Cascade, I think is interesting. I think that Daybreak is not fully explored, but with Leona at base power level being such a strong card, they're going to have to be careful with some of the Daybreaks. I mean, we do have technically... The sunbeam or whatever is daybreak removal. Um, but yeah. I would like to see them push it Expensive. like more towards I want to see them push it in the direction of Demacia a little bit. I want to well, see that I, I think we have all these big beefy bodies and they look like these awesome badass paladins. Let them hit things. And that's where like something like a single combat, you're right, like something along those lines would make a ton of sense. I will say, um, you know, you don't run Leona without running 18 cards minimum that say daybreak like you'll run leona the soldier the shield bearer the priestess Ravan, and zenith blade probably three copies of each one often i've and run so, it before without three copies of priestess yeah i would still do it just for to make sure leona comes down leveled though i guess i did an index that weren't as i've centered seen, on leona winning the game right i've seen people only run two copies of zenith blade though i think it's a mistake um Zenith Blade's good. but yeah so but you're looking at 18 cards you know that 
three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen. Yeah, almost half. Your eighteen deck. cards, almost half your deck that that are going to be played if you want to be playing Leona. Um, and that actually brings raises a really interesting point. In what way are you actually damaging your own game plan by playing non by putting ones and twos in the list that aren't the daybreaks, right? And so. In one way, you're like, oh man, I don't have as much consistency because I only have those ones and twos. Whereas on three, you have two different options. So you can run six mm-hmm, copies. It gives mm-hmm. you extra time to find it. But like not hitting Solari Soldier on one is pretty bad. It is. You, not that it's like the end of the world, but but you really want to hit Solari Soldier on one. And you really want to hear the shield hit the shield bear on three, although arguably you could be fine with either shield bear or the soldier on two. You're fine with either. The point being, um, 18 cards are getting committed, but you you really, if you're if you're really dedicated to the daybreak side of things and using Leona as kind of that like win condition, um, you may not need to run any ones or twos and, and it'll free up space for other things. Uh alternatively, keep in mind, like Leona as a package, you may not you may decide I don't really care about getting Leona leveled. You know, I'm I may say if it happens, it happens, and that's great. But Leona is in many ways a really awesome, proactive like stall package yeah she's still it's a four so good at dom it stuns it's so dominating a- across the board that's why it's paired with a soul and like originally i think there was a lot of people saying that, that the a soul leona thing wasn't that great i i still don't think it's top maybe top tier but it's still good and i've been playing a version that has been doing quite well for me um because you know it comes down to it is you need time to get to that high mana cost. You're not ramping, but look, you'll get to 10 eventually. And when you do, you're going to play Aurelian soul and be happy. The situation is Leona is one of the best kind of packages at consistently saying, Oh, you're aggro. I'm going to slow you down. Oh, you're mid range. I'm going to slow you down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it slows them down. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you know, yeah, and that is Leona's. Main. I I think there probably will come a time when you're not even as concerned with leveling Leona up as you are. You're just looking. You're in Targon already. Once Targon has other cards, and you have three champs, but you're not sure what your other three champs are going to be, and you're like, "This is a four mana three five stun something. I'm gonna put it in my deck." Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes that it's sometimes TF is a four mana two two that draws something, or a four mana two two that stuns and deals two to something, and that's enough um, yeah. without even trying to level him up. Um, For sure. But I tell you what, it's been a long time, and this has been a much longer episode. I remember some point in which you said you were going to stop us at eleven fifteen DBN. I just want to remind you uh, that I thought about being sassy and and saying something about it, but I I, I held my tongue. Eleven fifteen did come and go almost one hour ago. Um, but uh, we want to wrap up this episode and work our way out of here. So let me just jump in quickly to our closing thoughts. And I thought I was already perfect. <laughs> Okay, guys, if you haven't noticed tonight, my voice is kind of struggling. It has been for a while, and so when I'm talking, I'm losing it pretty quickly. So real quickly, uh, closing thoughts. This is part four of the seven-piece closing thoughts that we had about in making better relationships. 
Once again, closing thoughts is all about, hopefully, if you've listened to this podcast, you want to get something out of life that's more than just playing cards better. And so my hope is that we add something to your life that makes you better at doing life in general. And so we've been talking about what builds powerful relationships from a book by a guy named Danny Silk. It is a Christian author, um, but I think that his book is applicable to all kinds of people. His fourth pillar of powerful and healthy relationships is the pillar of responsibility. The first one was love. We talked about it. Um, and then honor and then self-control. This one is about responsibility. Responsibility, when the word is broken down, literally means the ability to respond. Um, and so one of the most powerful things in a relationship is the ability to communicate and the ability to respond instead of react. When people react, oftentimes feelings get hurt. People say things they don't mean to say or don't want to say. They destroy relationships. And oftentimes when we react to things instead of responding to things, it means that we are becoming and entering into less healthy relationships instead of more healthy ones. The point is, is that we all have a responsibility in every one of our relationships. In every conversation that we have, the responsibility is on us to walk out of that conversation with a healthier relationship. Way, way, way too often, people walk into relationships and blame the relationship going down the drain or degrading on the other person when we each have a responsibility in the relationship to ensure that it remains healthy. So you have the responsibility and the ability to respond instead of just react in your relationships. So examine your relationships. If there's a place where you're hot-headed, a person that you simply react to instead of respond to, maybe it's that person at work that just gets under your skin. Maybe your spouse has been driving you nuts. Maybe it's a kid that's annoying. One of your kids is just annoying. You find that you jump down their throat really easy in comparison to your other children. Whatever it is, find time and realize that you have the power to respond in relationships, not simply to react in relationships uh that's my closing um, thought now that that's really good and, and it kind of prompted me to want to look up kind of the the difference between react and respond because you know like at first you kind of think like well there's they're synonyms this is semantics um but there definitely is you know connotations to them that matter and i was i just quickly looked up uh, a, a mindfulness um little blog and they're talking about just this reactions are instinctual and stem from the subconscious mind there's not really a filtering process when you react in a situation you're just running on autopilot so you might do mm -hmm. or say things without thinking first and don't consider the implications of what you say or do you just act meanwhile responses are more thoughtful when you respond you first explore in your mind the possible outcomes of your reply before saying a word you weigh the pros and cons or consider what would be best for yourself and others in the situation. This actually makes a really cool comparison. It talks about dogs. A, re, a, a dog that reacts is that untrained puppy that's going to bark at everything it sees, jumps at the passing neighbors, and then eats your dinner as soon as it goes on the table. Yeah, still, right? my, still my dog after six, six years. <laughs> and a response would be more like the well-trained, well-behaved dog who will come only when you call him, barks only when there's a reason to bark, and will wait patiently for his treat. Um, and so there's, the, there's that difference in connotation between react and respond, which I think makes that um, responsibility, the ability to respond doesn't just mean you know that instinct it's not instinctual the ability to respond isn't just the ability to to do something it's also the ability to step back and kind of have that self-control which as we talked about last week is one of those pillars is you know self-control 
step back, think, then act in a much more concise and, and probably more successful manner. So I just thought that was a really interesting point to have been made. Awesome, man. Yeah, you. Uh, I mean, you're gonna start running the closing thoughts. I think you know you you, you preach it better than me at the end of it. Um, but uh, yeah, so just get a jumping off point, uh, so, and you make you. Yeah. It's you're making me think. So the the closing thoughts are working. Well, hopefully we're helping a lot of. We have a lot of people who are reaching out to us. Oh my gosh, the cough. I promise I don't have the COVID. And even if I do, the only thing getting it is my microphone right now. Um, mm. The 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 you know we have a lot of people who now reach out and say that the the closing thoughts are part of something that they enjoy. Thank you guys so much for encouraging me in that because it's so weird because it's absolutely has nothing to do with video <laughs> games, but it has always just been my heart to bring life and light into the gaming community that's always been my heart and that's what i'll close is just saying if you're struggling if you're depressed if you need someone to talk to if you're in a bad place someone from the discord reached out to me the other night they were just can, can we please talk um and i was like sure let's let's talk we spent two hours on discord the other night from like 10 to midnight laughing and hanging out together and getting to know one another both of us were in a better place whenever we were at the end of that um my heart is to be here to support people in the gaming community so if you're in a bad place and you need somebody just to listen to you please 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 join the discord reach out to me send me an email let me know that's my heart and my desire one of the main reasons that i podcast isn't just because i love dbn and i also love podcasting and i love lor and card games and i like talking about it but it's also because it gives me an opportunity to interact with people all across the globe that i would never get to know and be an encouragement to them but we got to get out of here man dbn can you please uh let people know how they can find this youtube video that you're going to be putting out on this new deck uh whenever this uh episode launches well, since you said please, I suppose I will. Please, please. It please. is uh, Dead Broke Nerd on YouTube. Just, I mean, I I don't really have competition for that name. I don't think most people are proud of it as like I am. But um, <laughs> uh, Dead Broke Nerd on YouTube. I also have started streaming a little bit more. So that's twitch.tv slash Dead Broke Nerd. Uh, just playing Runeterra, but uh, it's been a lot of fun when I can get to stream. And I, I may end up doing a little bit of that this weekend. I'm thinking about streaming Saturday morning before going into work. So stand by. Awesome. Uh, if you want to check me out, uh, go to twitch.tv slash the lift. Um, I'm actually now officially going to begin streaming in October. Um, and so the, I mean, by the time this episode launches, we'll be like a week or so out from that. I will now have a semi-consistent streaming schedule. I'm going to be streaming on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 8 a.m. Eastern time until 11 a.m. Eastern time. Um, I will be starting off with a coffee and contemplation stream for about the first half hour where I'm just going to be hanging out with just chatting and supporting people talking about people's weeks and seeing how people are and then we will transition over to legends of runeterra from about 8 30 or 8 45 a.m over until 11 a.m we're going to be drinking coffee and playing decks uh both meta and off meta stuff once i get again monday wednesday friday and then on wednesday nights at about 10 p.m eastern time me and dbn do do this episode live so if you've only listened to it over audio and you want to see our beautiful faces you can go over to twitch tv slash the lift on most wednesday nights starting about 10 o'clock p.m and catch us there that is going to do it if you want to know where any of those things are we do have links to all of that stuff in the show description and so you can find it there but that's going to do it for this episode of legends cast episode number 32 i believe it is thank you so much for listening and joining us it's been an honor and a privilege 
to be able to hang out with you over audio and uh, be sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you want to become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast or leave a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts.